Morning, everybody. Hope you're all going all right. Uh, Please get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll get to that in a moment, but let's pray before we go any further. Uh, Loving Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us today. Uh, We're trusting that you will. And we pray that um, by your Holy Spirit you would write these words on our hearts so that we might resolve uh, in our spirit to obey the things that we find revealed to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll read the Bible in a minute. I just want to put it in a little bit of context. Uh, As I've probably told you before, I used to be a school teacher. That's how I made my living. And when I was studying theology a few years back, I did a fair bit of casual teaching at various schools. And some of them were Christian schools and some weren't. But I was talking to a young bloke at one of the schools I was at. And I knew his dad was a pastor. And we were talking about a few earnest things that he needed to have brought to his attention. And um, anyway, in the conversation, he told me he wasn't a Christian. And, And I said, why not? And he said, too many do's and don'ts. And I thought, well, that's actually a pretty neat summary of the way a lot of people think about the Christian faith, isn't it? Too many do's and don'ts, too many rules. Now, of course, there's some Christians who express their understanding of the faith by insisting that, boy, there are a lot of rules. As though if we keep enough of them, we'll get a tick from God and we'll be okay. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who say, oh, no, we're saved by grace. Therefore, it doesn't really matter what we do because God's going to forgive me anyway. Now, neither of those two positions is all right. Neither of them is true. Uh, The young man that I was talking to did kind of have a point. But then, on the other hand, his point was also a bit unreasonable. Because, you see, the thing is, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. If you want to join in any group of people doing anything together, there will be some rules, won't there? Right? You can't play sport without there being rules. And you, and you can't play sport properly unless there's an umpire there to enforce the rules. Did you know back when Australian football was first started, you know who the umpires were? The captains. <laughs> because gentlemen played the game, right? Um, and so it was understood that if the captain made a call, well, you'd only make a call that was honest and true, but we've moved a long way from that, haven't we? Right? But if you want to be in politics, there are rules for being in political parties. If you want to be in any organisation, whether it's the CWA or the Chess Club. I used to be on local radio in, in Druin. Um, we had a community radio station and I decided I'd have a crack at that because for two hours on a Saturday afternoon I could listen to the music I liked. <laughs> and no one could tell me not to. But when you went to presenters' meetings, they had all these rules. Songs mustn't go for more than four minutes. Ooh. If you get to below 30 on the DV metre, you've got to start talking. Backing out. Oh, gee. So wherever you go there are do's and there are don'ts right now let's be honest in the christian life there are things we must do and there are things we mustn't do that's just how it is but it's no different in the christian life from any other sphere it's just that there's a more earnest purpose behind it now i uh, as you know like bluegrass music and i've learned a lot of good things from bluegrass music and i recommend you acquaint yourself with it as quickly as you can uh, <laughs> It's the music of heaven and it's best you get used to it here. Uh, But there's a great bluegrass song called Let the Light Shine Down on Me and uh, I heard it by Bill Monroe who was the great father of bluegrass and it says, um, the the chorus goes, there's some lessons I must learn, there's some bridges I must burn. Let your light shine down on me. And that's how it is. We need to listen to God 
But there are bridges that we have to burn. There are things that we have to say goodbye to. So as uh, Nathan's already reminded us today, that we, that, uh, and Jared was talking about it last week, taking off the old garments, putting on the new things. There's an old life that we've got to kiss goodbye without too much fondness. And there's a new life that we need to embrace. Uh, go back to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Because this is where the section that we're preaching today begins. So chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Ephesians are all about the new life that we have in Christ. We were dead, we've been made alive. We've been saved by grace, not through works, but we've been saved for works. But there's a transition that comes at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So the rest of the book is talking about how we should live, how we should walk now that we've been saved in a way, in a way that's fitting, that's appropriate, in a manner worthy of the calling. And then in verse 3, uh, no, um, first, yeah, verse three, he talks about maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this is not just a personal application. If you think, right, what's the word for me today? You're missing a fair bit of the point that the Apostle Paul is on about. This is about what must we do as a church. If you're only hearing this directed to you, you're only hearing a part of the story. This is directed to the church. All of the pronouns here are plural. right? So you and you and you and you, every one of us has a part to play in the unity that already exists because we're all sinners saved by grace, but we need to live in a way that enhances the unity that the Holy Spirit has built in. And so we're thinking of how to walk worthily. Down to verse 21. As the truth is in Jesus. There's three parts to the worthy walk. There's there's three principles. The first is in verse 22. Put off your old self. Right, so take off those old garments. Then, moving along, verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right, so we've got to make a decision to put off the old. We've got to let the Holy Spirit take a hold of the way we think to have our minds renewed. And then verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, right? So we've got to put something off, we've got to allow our mind to be renewed and we've got to put on the new garments of walking with Jesus. Let's have a look at chapter 4, verse 25, down to chapter 5, verse 2. So we'll read this together. So here we are, so Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Now, did you notice? Lots of do's and don'ts. Did you see that? My young mate would hate this bit, except he's become a Christian now, right? So that's the good news. Um, Chapter 4, verse 1 is the turning point. This is how Christians need to live because we've been saved. We need to walk worthily. That's spelled out in general terms, and those general terms are put off the old life, have your mind changed, put on the new life. But now we're getting specific. Now Paul is addressing genuine lifestyle decisions that each of us needs to make if we're going to walk worthily of Christ and if we're going to see the church of which we're a part actually pressing on unified. Do we want to be in a united church? I see a few cautious nods. Right? Really? Now, look, this is critical. What what does the world say about Christians? What's the number one criticism? Hypocrites. If Christians won't be committed to unity, we're giving them fuel for the fire. Now, this, this is where the pedal hits the metal. Every one of us has a part to play. Every one of us. And so if you hear anything today that makes you go, well, that probably applies for someone else, but not for me, you're not listening. This, this is for all of us, and we each have a part to play. If this church will be united, if this church will be what the Lord Jesus died for it to be, then each of us has a part to play. So let's tune in carefully. So we've had general things, now we're getting more specific. Um, What's being called for here is a whole new holy way of living. And that holy way of living, which is pleasing to God, needs to be worked out in the context of other people. Now, back when I was a school teacher, we would have days without students every now and again. You know about these, don't you? Because you've got to work out what to do with the kids when it happens, right? Report writing days, curriculum days, all these sorts of things. And every now and again, some wise Alec would say something, oh, schools are fantastic when there's no kids here, right? Well, I've heard people say the thing about ch- same thing about churches. Church would be all right, it's just the people. Well, here's something. If you haven't figured it out already, you can't have a school without kids. So if you don't like kids, you shouldn't be a teacher. You can't have a church without people. If you think church would be all right except for those people, then you're asking for something that can't be done because church is people. You know Rick Warren, the famous American pastor? He has a very interesting thing to say about this. He says, if you say, if you've ever found yourself saying, oh, I like Jesus well enough, I just don't like church, then that's actually an insult to Jesus because he died for the church. But he, Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, uh, that's a bit like saying to a man, I like you well enough, I just don't like your wife because the church is the bride of Christ. Now, you're never going to have a friendship with a man once you've told him that you don't like his wife, are you? That would be a very strange thing. So we need to be careful how we think about the church because the church is us. And whatever the church is, we've contributed to it. And so we need to keep pressing on in that way. So the life of holiness needs to be worked out in the context of relationships with other people. And so Paul's got lots of things to say 
But it boils down to this, we need in our life together to be imitators of God. So verse 25, he starts off with therefore. So we've put away, that's a a once for all thing, we've put away this old life, the, the, the life of falsehood, right? The lie. We've put that away. It's an old garment that's been worn out, it's been discarded. We didn't even take it to the op shop. It wasn't fit for the op shop. We've got rid of it, right? Now... Here's the new thing. Now, there's a bunch of, of commandments here, and these are strong commands, right? Uh, there's a whole series of them, and I've, I've got them all outlined on the bulletin there. The, the, the commands that, that Paul lays out, I've just got them all outlined there. Uh, so what's the first command? Speak the truth with your neighbour, right? So we've given away the old, li- the old life of lies and falsehood. We're going to be committed to speaking the truth. Jesus says that should be a characteristic of his people. He says, don't worry about taking oaths, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Christians should be known by their word. Christians ought to be truth tellers. Christians ought to be promise keepers. If Jesus says to us, let your yes be yes and your no be no, it should be enough that a person knows that you are a Christian and you will do what you've committed yourself to do because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We've got to live lives of truth. Now, that's difficult in this world because we're living in a world full of fake news, aren't we? And we're wondering who we can trust. Well, out in the big wide world, people need to know they can trust you. If they know you're a Christian, you should be trustworthy, right? So we've got to put away falsehood. We've got to put away the lie and we've got to speak to other people. Now, Paul doesn't just give us the instruction, he also gives us a reason why. So we've got the what and then we've got the why. So the what is, speak the truth. Why? We're members one of another. We're members. Do you know what a member is? The word membership has been debased in our world because we think of it as paying a certain sum of money for the privilege of having a seat spared for us at the MCG. Right? Or we become members of a political party. We sign on the line, yep, we agree with that, we pay the subs and we... That's, membership is a word which has come into our world from the Bible, right? A member is a limb or a, an organ of the body. If I, on the way home, rolled the car and had my arm cut off, technically I have been dismembered, right? And I'll have to learn to live without an arm. I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, but, but membership means all these different components of the body belong to each other. Now, if I did lose the arm, then my body would have to compensate for being armless. And it would, I suppose, because these things happen. But bodies work better if arms are in place and if arms do what arms do. But if I hit my thumb with a hammer, it doesn't just hurt the thumb. The rest of my body goes out in sympathy with it. And I may not feel like doing the dishes that night because, you know, (laughs) right? That's how bodies work. Why do we need to speak the truth with each other? Because we are members one of the other. Imagine if your foot was out of speaks with your knee, right? We need to speak the truth because we actually belong to each other. We're so connected, we're a body, right? That's the theological point. Righto. We've got got two... um, in verse 26 and 27, two commands. The what is be angry and do not sin. And then another one, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, we know from the Bible that anger is not always wrong. There is such a thing as righteous anger. 
right? Because we know that Jesus got angry in the temple when he saw things that displeased him. There are some things in the world that should make Christians angry and we should do something about it. But the, the anger that's being spoken of here is unrighteous anger. Anger of a kind that just cooks away in your guts and you seethe and you seethe and you seethe until you have an outburst, right? Unrighteous anger, which is not actually linked to anything particularly productive. And it's probably anger that's come about as a result of relationships, right? So the Apostle writes, be angry, but don't sin. So don't let your anger turn into something that causes you to sin. And so he gives us a hint here, do not let the sun go down on your anger means... By the time you've hit the pillow tonight, get over it. So don't let anger endure without doing something to deal with it. Because anger will corrode, it'll rust away at your insides. And it's not the sort of thing that's going to help um, build a community. If there's a lot of angry people that are letting their anger seethe, it's not going to build community. So be angry and don't sin. That's the second and the third commandment here. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So, commandment number four. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now that's related to letting anger seethe and go untreated. Paul says it's this serious. When you let your anger endure, you are letting the devil have a a field day in your life and in the life of your church right now in the ESV that I'm reading from uh, the translation says give no opportunity to the devil if you're reading in the NIV it'll say something like don't give the devil a foothold right have you ever been rock climbing when I lived in Nil, uh, there's a very, very wonderful uh, rock climbing place not far from Nil called Mount Arapiles. And I had two friends who were keen rock climbers and so they tied me on between them and they took me for a 130 metre climb. And that was my first go. It was terrifying, <laughs> right? But I discovered that when you're a long way up from the ground, even something about that wide is enough to keep your feet on, right? Right? That's called a foothold, right? The devil doesn't need much. But there's some churches, there's some Christians who don't just give him a foothold, they give him a whole staircase. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because when you do, you're giving the devil an opportunity. Right? So, don't do it. Uh, A few years ago, Jenny and Sally and I went to England and... um, went to France as well and we kept seeing signs warning us about pickpockets which sort of puts you on your on your guard a bit because I haven't been quite used to that where I come from. But there was one particularly memorable sign on the London Underground and it had a, a close-up picture of a backpack and the zip didn't quite meet in the middle and the slogan was, give thieves an inch and they'll take your wallet. So in other words, make sure your backpack's fully closed because otherwise they don't need much of an opening to get their hand in and and grab it out right don't give the devil an opportunity not even an inch get over your anger quickly do something about it deal with it speak to the person that's making you angry and remember that you're members one of another so speak the truth now commands five and six in verse 28 let the thief no longer steal that's one command another command let him labor doing honest work with his hands so quit pinching stuff and get a job 
That's what Paul's saying here. Now, you might think, got that one covered, haven't stolen anything for ages. Right? There's actually lots of ways of being a thief, isn't there? Just being dishonest with your time on the job. Right? Taking something that doesn't quite belong to you as though it's your own. You know? But Paul was talking here to people who had been thieves in the past. Um, thievery was a common business back in those days. Uh, people that had become Christians having been in the world. Uh, one of the main social outlets for people in those days was to go to the, the public baths. It was men only. But theft from the garments that were left lying around was common. It was so common it was almost accepted, right? Uh, but if people lost their job, there was no welfare back in those days. And so thievery was a pretty common resort for people that had lost their livelihood. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, if you used to be a thief, don't do it. It's, it's unbecoming. It's, un- it's not worthy of the Lord Jesus, right? But then he has a positive thing as well. That's the what. Here's the why. He goes on and he says, get a job so that you can contribute to the needs of others. Now, there's something for all of us who've got a job. One of the Christian principles of work is not just working to line our own pocket or to provide for our own retirement or to lavish ourselves with every luxury we can think of. One of the Christian principles of earning money is to put you in a position to be generous. And so if you've got someone in the church who has lost their job and is unable to supply their own needs, then it would be an act of Christian generosity to do something to try to meet those needs yourself. Contribute. Now, that doesn't mean any Christian should be a sponger. But it does mean that Christians should be on the lookout. We've got lots of examples of that in the Bible, the principle of generosity. Righto, down to number 7, verse 29. Here's an instance of the old life that has to be put off. The seventh commandment in this passage, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Right, now, corrupting talk, that, that word corrupting there, Jesus uses it in Matthew 7 for trees that have gone bad, rotten trees that are producing rotten fruit. It's the same word that you could use, or that Jesus does use in Matthew 13 for rotten fish that need to be tossed out. Right? So we could say, don't talk rot. Right? Don't use your words in a rotten kind of a way, in a corrupt kind of a way. Right? So that's the old life, that's, that needs to be uh, done away with. Uh, because you see that kind of language that kind of talking doesn't enhance community life but then Paul goes on and he gives us the reason behind this the theological reason the purpose behind giving up talking corrupting talk it's in the second part of verse 29 but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear so here's a very surefire test. Now, if we can get this one right, there'll be a lot less anger around. Does your speech with your fellow believers build them up or does it tear them down? Does your speech about other believers, if someone else was listening, would they think that's building up or tearing down? Now, if you can run that little test before you let your mouth fly then you're going to be doing something about building the community the point of doing away with corrupting speech is that it doesn't build up 
Now, how different would churches be if people were careful with the things that they said? Not just what they said, but when they said them. Because timing is sometimes everything. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I was involved in a difficult conversation once with someone that was getting very angry. I said, just hang on. I said, if someone was listening in right now, would they know we're Christians by our love? We've just been singing it, haven't we? Do we mean what we sing? Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So is the way that we speak to each other loving? Does it build people up? If it doesn't, then stop. And you've given one more person one less reason to be angry and give the devil a foothold. So we've got to be careful how we go about talking. Commandment number eight, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, it's simple. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we do anything that tears people down and that works against the unity that the Holy Spirit wants to see built into his family. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. When we behave in a way that corrupts the holiness of the church, it grieves the Holy Spirit because he wants to create us to be a community of people that are becoming more and more and more like Jesus, the Holy One of God. So, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We saw it in Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verse 10. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. God had saved his people out of Egypt. He'd brought them into a land provided for all their needs and they turned their back on him. And that's where the phrase comes from. They grieved the Holy Spirit by their rebellion. So when we read the Bible and think that applies to everybody in this room but me, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now that's serious. Right? That's, you might be thinking, oh, Steve's got an agenda today. No. Well, yes. Uh, it's the same as I've always got. And that's to preach what is actually in the text. So we've chosen to preach through Ephesians. There's no ducking this. Behaviour which tears people down and which is acting against the unity of the church makes God sad. That's what it means. Has God done anything good for you? Ever? Lately? Is it walking worthily of your calling to make God sad? Now look, don't think I've got this all together because I haven't. I'm as good at sinning as anybody. But I'm engaging this patch and think, well, that's something I've got to keep, you know. This is part of the renewing of my mind. I need to be concerned about this, but don't continue in behaviour which grieves the Holy Spirit. That would be that would be most inappropriate. And and Paul gives us the theological reason because it's by the Holy Spirit that we're sealed for the day of redemption. We're looking forward to Judgment Day without fear because we know that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. We've already seen that early on in in the book. So num- number nine, verse thirty-one. Uh, We've got to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away. So there's, there's one command, put it away, which is going back to getting rid of the old garments. 
But there's all of these things here. Bitterness, that's festering resentment. We've already seen about anger. Paul comes back to it. Why would that be? Why would Paul come back to anger? Because it's just a continuing problem in churches everywhere. There's things that make people grumpy. There's things that make people retreat to the corner and talk to the two or three they think will understand about someone else. And it's all... That's the work that gives the devil a foothold here. We've got to be really careful. So Paul says, let all bitterness, not just some, but all, and wrath and anger and clamour. Now, that clamour, that means shouting. That's the sort of language that's used when there's a riot going on in, in the book of Acts chapter 19. And slander. The word for slander is actually blasphemy. That's the word that Paul uses. When you slander someone else, that's blasphemy. We need to put it away along with all malice. Now, what Paul's doing there is he's, he's showing how bad speech starts. It works with starts with bitterness and it works its way up to shouting. Here's a little thing. Um, if you find yourself raising your voice in a conversation, chances are you're on the slippery slope. So pull back and see if you can quieten down. Because that's what clamouring is. It's getting noisy and shouting. Ask yourself if someone was watching, would people know that we're Christians by our love in the way we're doing this? You see, that's the sort of thing that tears down rather than builds up. But an alternative to that, commandment number 10, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted or understanding of each other, forgiving one another. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. Now, if Jesus forgave me, and if I'm imitating God, if I'm wanting to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, if I've been forgiven, what does Jesus say? I need to forgive, and so do you. In fact, Jesus makes it quite plain, if we won't forgive, what's the next part? We won't be forgiven. Now that's serious. If you won't forgive, you are putting yourself at risk of not being forgiven by Jesus. That's serious. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, as God in Christ forgave you. So down to the last couple of commands in verses in chapter five, verse one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God. So Nathan said before, we imitate the people we admire and look up to. I think most of us understand a little bit about what he said when he, he realises that he's a bit like his dad. Have you ever discovered that? I talk to my dog and think that's exactly what my dad would have said to it. You know? so, so I'm not doing it consciously, it's just happened. You know, um, I had a friend who wrote me an email after his mother died and, and they were telling stories at the funeral. And he realised how much like his mother he'd become. He said, I even wiped the, the basin out after I brushed my teeth with the back of my hand, just like mum did. <laughs> right? We, we imitate the people we look up to. Now, the word that... The, the Greek word for imitation is where we get our word mimicry. You know what a mimic is? Someone who copies, right? The lyrebird is a great mimic. Have you ever heard lyrebirds in action? Yeah, um, they can make sounds that imitate 
or mimic chainsaws and I've even heard a live bird um, making a sound that sounds like a camera they can copy we need to imitate God now we can't imitate everything about God can we because we're not in a position to create a universe so let's not be silly about this Paul's saying the characteristics of God that he has revealed to you in Jesus and the way that God has treated you in Jesus, you need to imitate those, right? So he gives us the what and the why here. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. See, there's that word walk again. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, right? So have you been forgiven? Yes, you have. Have you been included in God's household? Have you got your name written down in heaven because of the hope to which you've been called? It needs to change the way you live. It needs to change the way you think. It needs to change the way you treat other people. It needs to change the attitudes you have that could fester into an anger that might have an outburst of angry speech which will tear down and destroy unity. So these are obligations which flow from being forgiven. They're fair too, aren't they? So yes, there are do's and don'ts. There are, no getting around that. But these are good do's and don'ts. Because these are the do's and the don'ts which will ensure that our church functions in a way that pleases Jesus and that is good for everybody who is part of it. And that seems to be the kind of community of newly made people that we hope other people would want to join and find that they can be included too. So we've got to put off the old clothes of untruthful, rotten, angry speech which disrupts church unity and we need to put on the readiness to get over unrighteous anger and to deal with it. We've got to be thinking of the words that we use so that we don't use words that tear down. And if it could honestly be said that our speech disrupts unity or tears other people down, we need to stop it. We need to imitate God as he's revealed himself to us in the person of his son who loved us and gave himself for us. And when with the Holy Spirit's help we do these things, we're going to be contributing to the unity of the body we're going to be contributing to a church that is good to belong to. Let's pray. Our Lord God, these things are very um, pointed and, uh, and direct. And I guess it's probably fair to say that we can all of us find ourselves somewhere in here. And so we ask that you would forgive us for those times when we've used speech unkindly or when we've spoken ill of another in a way which is unfair we give you thanks for your mercy to us in the lord jesus we thank you that uh, you didn't wait for us to be good enough but that you were a god of mercy and forgiveness a god of generosity and grace we thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve but even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins you sent your son the lord jesus to pay for those sins with his blood so we ask now that you would help us to live worthily of that Help us to live in response to all that you've revealed of yourself to us through your son. And help us now for the sake of uh, the unity that's been built into this church by your Holy Spirit. 
All those things we have in common, help us to walk in this new life, putting off the old ways, the old ways of crooked, rotten speech, the old ways of festering anger. Uh, Please help us to walk in newness of life that would uh, see it being our great delight to encourage others to build them up and and to to help them as they press on their way uh, to the eternal life that you've called us to through, through Jesus. Please help us each to make our contribution to the church that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.